G'day. Welcome to SEO Success Stories. My name is Russ McCumber, and every two weeks we talk search engine optimization with the world's leading SEO practitioners. We interview a mix of in-house SEO leads from the world's biggest brands and SEO thought leaders, many from leading search technology brands, plus the world's foremost SEO educators. They'll all be lifting the hood on their own SEO journey, as well as sharing the tips and tricks behind how the best and brightest minds in SEO go about their trade of dominating the SERP. SEO nerds, this one's for you. Hello and welcome again to another episode of SEO Success Stories. My name's Russ McCumber. You hear me every two weeks in your ears listening to this feed. On today's podcast, we've got one of our favorites. He's back. His name is Eli Swartz. If you're into SEO, you know Eli. G'day, Eli. That's good to be back. I don't know if this happens to me that often. People are like, oh, you said everything you wanted to say. We're like, no one liked it, but appreciate it. I'm honored to be back here again. It's been so long. I've heard, I repeat stuff, then yeah. people are too bored listening to the same things over <laughs> and over again. Go listen to Joe Rogan. It's a four-hour podcast. Get something else to do. There's been lots happened since you were here last, so... We're going to get into it. Before we do, quick little reminder for people, if you haven't subscribed, but you like this this particular podcast, you like the guests that we have, just hit that subscribe button. It's going to make it much easier. It'll pop up in your feed every time you log in. We've got a new guest every two weeks. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, write us a review. Apple Podcasts, that's probably the number one place to do it, please. But uh, Eli, I'm going to ask you a question, which I did ask you in early it was end of 2021. We're in 2024 now. So what do you think is the number one biggest challenge facing SEOs this year? Oh God, how long do I have? You got as long as you need. Go. I'm going to take two hours here. I'm going <laughs> to Joe Rogan it. So SEO is about to change like completely with, with, with lots of things. But the biggest thing, and I think anybody that's you know really been focused on the user and focused on user experience and building the right products, maybe they even read product-led SEO, it won't change that much. Where SEO is going to change is partly AI, but partly this, the algorithms have just continued to progress. So the old way of doing SEO, which is find the keywords you think users are searching, stuff up some worthless content onto your site, and then build some worthless links. I don't think that's going to work anymore much longer because there's too much content being created. One, and users aren't going to trust it. I mean, the, the amount of content that can be created, and it's not just generative AI, but like mm -hmm. even prior to ChatGPT, there was Jasper, there's other AI writing tools. This isn't entirely new, mm -hmm. but the ability to just create content because you can hit a button has been here for a little bit. And users are you know in tune with this. They look at websites and are like, why, why am I reading this? Mm -hmm. I could have just gone to Google myself or now they can go to ChatGPT themselves and just read that content. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that the algorithms are getting smarter. So they're looking at this content and they're saying, well, it's not so helpful. So they actually have a helpful content update and this kind of content doesn't do what you thought it was going to do and their website's getting hit by these updates. And it's not just helpful content updates, it's the way the algorithms are driven. And one little piece of that is the whole, the, the whole way of doing SEO is built around a keyword. Now, anybody that's tried any generative AI tool, you realize that like it's so much deeper than a keyword. It's not like you know, internet search in, in year 2000, where you put in a word and you got back one response, it's dynamic. Like the generative AI understands the content, the context, the time, the geography, all those things related to words. So it's not just about word search anymore. It's 
It's concept search. And like we've said, that's for a while, like topics and tent, but we're well, well beyond that. And then the third piece that I mentioned around what's changing is links. So in the early days in the internet, and I think, you know, prior to year 2000, when, when Google invented Google, they were using backlinks to understand the authority of content. And that concept has been around since, you know, scholarly academia, when the people cite other people and you needed that. And you really needed to have that vote of confidence in a piece of content that is worthwhile and it was authoritative. Again, I think in the year 2024, maybe it's not the year 2024, but maybe it's year 2025, or maybe it's been 2023 already, whatever it is, Google doesn't need that same vote of confidence. They can look at the writer. They can look at the website. They can look at the brand. They can look at all these, even citations that are not hyperlinked and say, this is the authority of that content. So this whole way of like, well, write content and then just hire a link building agency to build links. I think we're moving past that. So I think SEO is fundamentally changing and I'm excited by it because when I put my user hat on, which, you know, most of us were marketers, but we spend the other times we're not sleeping being users. I think it's good for users. Like, I think it's a poor experience for users when you go onto Google and you search something commoditized, like, I don't know you know, what's the best phone case for an iPhone? And there's like 18 of the exact same results. That's not good for users. So I think we're moving to a, a world where like, when users don't need long form content, they don't need long form content. So I, I, I think it's, I think it's good. I think SEO is changing. I think it's good for users. If you have from that perspective, if you're making money off of it, I, I think you know it's going to be rocky. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing though, because we do like, I always think from a user perspective, because I, ha I, I get really annoyed if I jump on and I'm looking for something specific or, you know, I'm, I'm what, on whatever platform it is. And I get served just a bunch of junk, which just doesn't match what I'm looking for. And I do, I was wondering, I must admit, especially up, you know, the last six months of last year, where it was just sort of content related update after update after update. I remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago where I just think about the SERP, like how trust, how much trust do we have in the SERP when you're doing that search and the stuff that's going to show there, do I feel really confident that it's actually going to match my needs? Or do I know that I've got to go directory, directory, publisher, publisher. Oh, there it is. That's the one I'm looking for. Like, I wonder if, well, I hope that we're getting back to a place where I can do that search, whether there's SGE at the top or whatever it is, but where I have more confidence and trust in what's showing there. Yeah. And, and I, I think we're, we've moved past this world where you can just spam. And I think that's good. I think that's what the algorithms exist for. I think, you know, I don't know. You talk about the, like the Department of Justice lawsuit against Google for antitrust. The whole reason, I this is my opinion. I think a lot of people might agree with me, but obviously the DOJ does not. The whole reason that Google was successful is they did great by users. They, they were not, you know, being, trying to push all sorts of Microsoft products, essentially, that weren't good. They weren't, um, all the other search engines that went by the wayside that were too heavily monetized and the user experience wasn't good. Google went for so many years without monetizing because they were just trying to build good search. And yes, there was a monopoly on Google Maps in Google search, but Google Maps is really, really good. And yes, there's a monopoly on YouTube in Google search. YouTube's okay, right? <laughs> but they YouTube's pretty good. Yeah. So like we look at all these things, yeah, they they sort of like put their their experiences first and and you know over other other competitors. Mm. But I think in many cases their products are good and users like them. And given a choice, I don't well, they were given a choice. Given that that choice, users went from Yahoo Mail and Hotmail 
<laughs> well, it's always called something else, right? So Hotmail is now a micro, uh, I guess, Outlook.com. But users have always gone from that to Gmail. And Gmail yep. is the number one email platform in the world. So users were given that choice. They went to it. Users were given the choice about which Maps product they wanted to use. They went from MapQuest, which was owned by AOL, which was a Google competitor. And they went to, they went to Google. You know, users were given all of these choices and they've gone to Google. So Chrome is a very important backbone of like how Google understands and ranks the web. Mm. So it's not just like when the Google bot, and I don't know if a lot of SEOs understand this thing, but when Google bot comes to a website, they, yes, they render it, but that's not where they get all the inputs from. Google bot is actually relying, or Google is actually relying on a lot of the insights that come from Chrome. So they'll discover new websites from Chrome. They'll understand how users navigate within a website from Chrome. So Chrome was a, was, ended up being a very, very important part of Google's experience, but users have flocked from all those other browsers. It was, you know, Internet Explorer and again, Microsoft Firefox always and... trying to, yeah, they, Microsoft tries to change the name of their products. People forget that they hate them. Yeah. But yeah, now it's called Edge, but it was called Microsoft Internet Explorer and Firefox and Chrome took over the entire market because it's a good product. And, you know, I, I think if you really think about this monopoly here, like I think it was 70% of all computers are sold that are sold are Microsoft computers that have Windows in them. And somehow, whatever the math is, many, many percent of those people download Chrome intentionally from Microsoft Edge. And then that is how you get to an 80 to 90% market share of Chrome. So they're deliberately going to use that. So I, I think going back to the question, went on tangent here, but many, many users like Google because Google provides a good product and a good results. Yep. So when we're in our user hat, it's important that we focus on that, that this is like, we need to support Google on that. And that's what Google's trying to do. Got it. I never really thought so much about that. Just we're on a major tangent here, but like that massive barrier of people buying a Microsoft product, there's a default browser there and they're jumping online to download something else. And that product is so much better than the one that's there. It gets a massive, like, you know, whatever the market share is being Chrome. So again, yeah. great products should win. And classic Microsoft, I think Edge, Microsoft Edge, which is the Internet Explorer, like the native browser that comes with Windows, I think it runs on Chrome. So it's like class, like Google has totally won that market. They built a better product. So Microsoft uses it. Yeah. How funny. We're going we're gonna to go deep into, especially into SGE, because I'm, like the number one reason I invited you back, other than it's always good to have a chat, was like you were early and pretty loud on your opinions on where SGE, where this is going. And you know, how this is going to impact the SERP, how this is going to impact the way SEOs do their job. So we're going to go into that. But before we do, like 2023 was a big year for you. Like you had a lot of changes. You, you know, talk us through some of the things that, that happened for you in 2023. So I, I moved back from Texas. I used to live in the Bay Area. I moved back from Texas back to the Bay Area in 2023. It, it was an interesting year to move back. So I, I, was, I was in Texas for all of COVID. And California was really, really hit by COVID because it, I see two big reasons. One, Californians like to tell people what to do. So the government was very front and center about telling everyone opposite of Texas, this disease is going to kill you. You got to stay home. And Californians, for the most part, they listened and they stayed home. And because many, many people, at least in, in my area and in my verticals, they're in tech and they can stay home. They were lucky enough that they can move their jobs home. So as a result, a lot of people left California and a lot of things were closed and a lot of restaurants closed permanently and a lot of things to do closed permanently and beaches were closed. 
So it was good to be in Texas for COVID because you know things were a little bit more open and there was more more ability to meet people in person. I think I met you in person during during in COVID. Houston, but and at an event that probably would not have happened in California. Yeah, but then I I, I moved back because there was too much of the like. There's not much. Hap- I was in Houston. You're in Austin. But I was in Houston. There was not much really happening that was worthwhile from a business standpoint. There weren't that many people to meet. There were certainly no events, and it. And, you know, we, my family was also drawn back to California to where we come from before. So we came back to the Bay Area. The interesting thing is there's been so many things that I've been able to take advantage of being back in California, really seeing that difference, two differences. One is difference between pre and post COVID and the other is like being in Texas versus being in California. And I've been able to events and meeting people in person. The interesting thing is the economy has been pretty poor the last 18 months or so. And I haven't necessarily been able to take advantage of all those in-person meetings from a business standpoint, because I think the economy has has shrunk. There's less budgets out there, but the potential is there. So I think that California really is, was, and will always be the future of tech. And right now the future of tech is around AI. And a lot of that is being built in San Francisco, in the Bay Area. And the remote work experiment, which everyone thought was lasting and permanent over COVID, I think for the most part, employers don't like it anymore. And they employers have taken back the power. Employees love it. They love to be able to like, you know, work from home on Fridays and work wherever, but employers don't necessarily benefit from it. And given that new employers or new companies that are being started and new hires that are being given jobs, they don't have that ability to do remote work anymore. So if they're going to build physical offices, a lot of that is being built in California. So I think we've come around full circle to like, well, you don't need to be in California. You could really do your job anywhere to like, no, you actually need to be in California and the future of these jobs is going to be probably in the Bay Area. So it, it's it's valuable to be back here and see this happening. How interesting. Well, that's certainly a, that's certainly a zig where everyone else is zagging. Well, how does that affect you? Because I mean, you're, you're consulting, obviously, so you're, you're kind of here and here and there. Does that mean more in-person for you, like more on-site for you as well? So I don't think it's necessarily beneficial for me to be on site at the clients I work with. However, when I think about like how I meet many companies and how I end up starting to work with many companies, it typically comes from some sort of in-person connection. So maybe it's not now. Maybe it was like a past coworker that I worked with or a past employer that I worked with or a VC that I'd met in person in the past made an introduction. But I think a lot of, and this is like what we saw over COVID, mm. you build personal connections in person. You don't really build it virtually. So I, it's not that I'm, I'm working with companies that are specifically located in the Bay Area. I'm working with companies that have some sort of connection to the Bay Area, and I'm able to build that rapport. Like there was even a company I worked with in Australia, but it came from a Bay Area VC who I met in person, who over coffee is like, hey, you should talk to this company. And then I was able to get that virtual you know, foot in the door, but I don't know that I could have gotten the virtual foot in the door by meeting that VC and then having a Zoom meeting and so on and so forth. So I think there's so much value to being in person. And, and that's why like, I'm excited for 2024 that we're, it's, I guess our second full year post COVID of events. I'm excited to like go to more events. Again, I'm not going to, I don't speak on that many stages. You and I spoke on a stage together. I don't think I sold anybody at that event, but it, it's really about like the expo hall and walking around and meeting people in person and someone saying, Hey, you know, that's interesting. I should buy your book. And then like, maybe they buy my book. And from there, they recommend me or, you know, to their own company or someone else's company. So that cannot happen, I think, virtually. So I'm excited for what this year will bring. 
respect. Totally. I, mean, I was just at uh, Digital Summit in Dallas in December. And I mean, I've been speaking and I've been at these in-person events quite a bit. And it's, it's a different level of trust. It's a different level of connection that you can have with someone, whether you're on the stage or whether you meet them off the stage. You know, the ability to, to pick up body language and all those other bits and pieces, like it's a deeper relationship you can build. And interestingly, what I noticed over, you know, you've got your COVID time. And then from a, if I think more from a, if I put my selling hat on, over COVID, you know, you did most of your selling virtually. You're pushing deals along virtually. What I noticed towards the middle of last year was the same sort of opportunities and conversations I was having and pushing forward virtually during COVID. All of a sudden, people just weren't so keen to meet on a video call or the deals just weren't pushing through at the same pace. So I found the back half of last year, 2023, I have to get out and see these people. I've got to tell them, I'm coming to your city. I'm going to be in LA. I've got some time. I'm, you know, can you carve out half an hour for me, an hour for me? And people were so appreciative for that. You get there and all of a sudden, this conversation which had stalled gets pushed forward again because, oh, that's right. I remember us. I remember what we spoke about. That sounds like a good, you know, good thing for us to keep talking about. But it really, it really hit home for me in the back half of last year that you, you can't beat that in person. I think about all of the, like all of the different tech platforms during COVID that were, you know, saying, you know, in-person events, live events, they're done. We've got this tech, which makes, you know, the whole experience, you know, makes the travel redundant. And I just never felt quite right to me. You're sitting in these, you know, weird, you know, stadium, you know, stadium kind of faux stadium things online. And it just never, it never felt the same. I, I just can't imagine it's ever going to get to a point where I'm, I'm certainly not going to be one of these people who lives in the metaverse. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, I really think so. I, I think like, you know, one of the things I, I did in the last couple of years was meet people who I work with in person. So like mm. agencies that are referred to me or I've referred to other people, I meet them in person because there's, there's so much that comes from like, I don't know, just standing around and mm. drinking coffee together, or drinking a beer together and, and not talking business and understanding their motivations and, you know, seeing what the office looks like and, you know, seeing what the culture looks like. Hey, there's dogs in the office or, you know, their office is in a bad neighborhood or offices has an amazing view of the ocean or something like you've built that personal connection. And it's not just this, I don't know, 13 inch view on a, on a, you know, computer screen. So it, for me, it's the events aren't really just about like, how many deals can I close? Like I invested, mm. you know, a couple thousand dollars in going to this event. How many deals did I close out of that couple thousand dollars? It's really, that was a good event to meet good people at maybe in a year from now, I'll get something that comes from something, but not directly from that event. So that was a good investment. I'll do that again. Yep. Or maybe, you know, it turns out I met all these people and they didn't really go anywhere. And the event was kind of boring. And I was in my hotel room at six o'clock and there's nobody to hang out with. I won't do that again. Yeah. Did you have any favorite like speaking gigs or anything you'd love to speak at this year? I actually don't love to speak so much. Okay. Because I'm not selling and I, I don't find that I get a lot of benefit out of speaking unless like it's a paid speaking engagement and then benefit is I'm getting paid for it. But if I'm yep. speaking for free, I'm not finding that I'm getting a lot of benefit except for like I get a free ticket to the conference. And a lot of these conferences will cost Five hundred to thousand dollars for yep. so for five hundred thousand dollars, I'd rather basically not be working. I'm I'm a civilian going to the conference. I don't yep. have to be dressed a certain way. I don't have to show up a certain place. I don't have to be on a stage. I don't have to have any stress. I don't have to prepare. So 
for that price, I'm happy to go and attend for free or to attend as a regular person. Yeah. So I haven't spoken that much in conferences. I do a lot of speaking virtually because the investment on time and effort is much lighter. And just, you know, I'm sitting in my chair, like doing right now with you and mm. speaking in conference. It's not the same as I'm flying somewhere either, you know, maybe the expenses are covered, but I'm putting time in, I'm putting days in to go do this thing for this conference. So nothing in the last year. I mean, my favorite, of course, is two years ago at the Houston. What was that thing? What was it called? Digimarcon. Yeah, yeah. That, that was awesome. Like best event in the last decade. You, yep. know, you and I, <laughs> you and I on stage. But other than that, <laughs> no highlights. Okay. And just one last thing before we get into SGE, the podcast, Contrarian, Contrarian Marketer, that kicked off last year as well. Yep. And you've been building your mailing list and sort of doing that sort of thing as well. So how's that been from, from a personal perspective, like building your personal brand and, and having that regular outlet to get your thoughts out there? So the, the uh, newsletter has been amazing. I regret that I never did this before. And the reason I never did it before is because I was measuring myself by other people's newsletters. So for anybody that's looking for newsletters to subscribe to, you could check an, S an SEO newsletter. You could check out Nick Leroy's SEO for lunch. It's a curated summary of what's happening in SEO. And then Alayda Solis has SEO FOMO, which is again, a, a great newsletter. So I always looked at these newsletters and I'm like, I don't want to make the same one. I don't want to spend hours like summarizing the internet. But then I got this, I just, you know, noticed other people on Substack, they're basically writing their thoughts and really summarizing things and they're building an audience. And I was like, well, I don't mind doing that even if nobody reads it. And they've been so fortunate in that I, I started at the beginning of 2023 mm. with zero subscribers and I ended the year with about 4,500 subscribers. So cool. And that has been so interesting because I, I did the exact same thing for zero as I did for 4,500 and I'm, I'm not charging for it. It's, I have no intent on charging for this specific newsletter because that would create more effort to have higher qualities, but I'm just sharing my thoughts. If people don't like my thoughts, unsubscribe. You like my thoughts, you tell someone else. And I, I wish I would have done that earlier because like I see the growth, you know, I may hopefully this year, maybe I can double it. And then the podcast, again, I never made a podcast before because they didn't want to do the same thing like, oh, well, I, it's just about who you know and what kind of guests you could have. But I have an amazing podcast partner in Kevin Indig, and we don't have that typical podcast. It's just the two of us talking. We're... <laughs> We're having our own conversations. There's no burden on us to make sure we get the right guest or to, to prepare an interview. We just come up with the topics and we have an interesting discussion. And if people listen, they listen. If not, Kevin and I have an interesting discussion. We did have one celebrity guest. We've only had one guest in total, but one celebrity guest in 2023, which is for anybody that is in consulting or wants to be in consulting, the goat of consulting, his name is Alan Weiss. So he wrote this book, his first book in 1998, called Million Dollar Consultants, and he's rewritten that book or updated that book six times. So he's amazing. Check out his book. So we had him as our only guest ever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we chatted with him. He's you know, really an amazing person and absolutely the goat of consulting. So it's a different kind of podcast. It's just us having discussions about the things we wanted discussions about, yeah. and we make exceptions for fantastic guests. We have a couple lined up for this year. Love it. So Contrarian Marketer, just search for that. Great podcast I tune in. So if you like this podcast, you'll like that as well. So cool. Thank you. All right. Oh, and so, the newsletter is uh, productledseo.substack.com. There we go. Product led. Can you say that again? Productledseo.substack.com. Beauty. All right. So search generative experiences. Experience? Experiences. Yeah. You know, Danny Sullivan referred to it as experiments. Because he was just saying, don't read so much into it. But yeah, uh, it's ex uh, experiences. I think that's the name of it. Okay, cool. So 
when when did we start seeing it in the surf? Like, or when when did we start getting it? I mean, there was I mean, ChatGPT mid last year explodes, and AI is all anyone wants to talk about. When let me take me back to when you started seeing this wave starting to starting to to form, and it's, you know, it's it's getting some momentum. What were your initial thoughts on it? So I'm a bit obsessed, so I know all the exact dates. Okay, so cool. ChatGPT came out in late November or, or some, I think it was November of 2022. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, OpenAI had existed for some time and ChatGPT Chat or uh, GPT had existed for some time. But yep. then they introduced this product, ChatGPT, which all of a sudden people were asking questions and you, know, you started to come up with different use cases for, and Google freaked out. So Google, I forget the month, but it was early in 2023 yep. where Google did this event where they said, AI, we got AI too. And they they showed some examples and they, they got it wrong. Like I think the yeah. example is the Hubble Space Telescope. They got it wrong. And their stock went down significantly that day. And then Google said, we're going to integrate AI into search. And then they had, they had Google I.O., which is Google's annual event. Mm-hmm. where they talk about all the Google products and it was AI, AI, AI. Like mm. everything was AI. You know, AI in the phones and AI in search and AI in cloud and AI in docs and all this stuff. And it, a lot of it's cool. I mean, I don't know how useful it is, but it's, it's cool stuff. Mm. And then Google said they're going to integrate AI into search. And then from my friends, and one of the interesting things about being back in the Bay Area versus Texas is my network of neighbors and you know, parents at my kids' school and just random people I meet in coffee shops work at the tech companies that I'm curious about and want to know more about. So yeah. I, I know dozens of Googlers that just randomly, casually that I'll meet all the time. And I love asking questions. And, you know, some of them are not briefed on this is a secret and these are things you shouldn't do. So for example, Google announced that they were testing this AI thing internally. And I went to a conference in, in Las Vegas. I went to a mobile conference and they had Google at a booth there. And I went over to this booth and I was asking all the Google employees at this booth, I'm like, what's the AI thing? And one of them actually showed it to me. He's <laughs> like, oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this, but he showed it to me. Another one, and then I, I was just asking questions. And if you subscribe to my newsletter, a lot of this stuff ended up in the newsletter. But I, I was like, so how often do you see this AI thing? This guy's like, I don't know if I did guess like 80 to 90%. And that was when I was like, oh, this could kill search. 80 to 90%, you're going to see something that just, it doesn't matter whether it's good or not. It just pushes down the search results. So if you were ranked number one and you got, I don't know, 30% click through rate, and now you're still ranked number one, but the screen is taken up by something else, you're not getting a 30% click through rate. So that's when I started really thinking, oh, wow, this thing could be big. Now, Google's SGE actually launched very odd date. I think it was the Thursday or Friday before Memorial Day. And that was where you can see the level of panic that Google had. They're launching something before a big holiday. I mean, Memorial Day is essentially like the beginning of the summer when people, I mean, a lot of people really take off and go away. So that's when they launched it. And they've, I think they wanted to initially launch it fully. And the way Google approached is launching something fully is they do a beta test. So right now it's an experiment. It's a lab. So you have to be logged into your Google account. You have to be opted into SGE. And that's the only way you can see it. Anybody can be in it. Initially, there was a waiting list and I was able to to be admitted into this labs on the first day they launched it because I'm a, I guess, I guess the right word is Google fanboy. I have Pixel devices. I pay Google on for their Google One account, which gives me more space in my Google Drive. 
So they that one of those two, I forget which one it was, allowed me to like as soon as they launch it to get into the beta. So I thought that was kind of cool. Kevin also was in it, so we we did a podcast right away and we showed SGE. So then now Google has allowed anybody that opts in, you can see SGE. But what they have not done is they have not dropped this thing on people that don't know what it is. Like random people not logged into Google accounts, or maybe they're logged into Google account, but they haven't opted in. That's what a launch would mean. So right now, anybody that's logged into it is going to be a super early adopter. There's someone that like knows this thing exists and cares to have their search experience changed. In the future, in the very near future, it's going to be other people who don't know and they'll respond differently. So I, let's say, I don't know if you've heard this stat, 15% of people are using chat GBT exclusively for search. Have you heard that stat? Something like that? I haven't, but it doesn't surprise me. Okay. Yeah. Those are not baby boomers. Your typical baby boomers. Those are not, you know, right. These are very, very hyper early adopters, super connected tech people. Those are regular people. So these are the kind of people that are opted into SGE. Now, Google's going to launch this thing to not like the regular people. And then we're going to see what the experience is like. Like, do people like it? Do they click through? So that's where we are right now. Now, from my network of people that just randomly chat in the park when I'm talking, I'm playing with my kids, one of the, there's a few problems that Google has been having with SGE, which is why they have not launched it yet to the world. Problem number one, and this is kind of well known, is there are legal reasons around it. So for one, plagiarism, I mean, ChatGPT or OpenAI was accused of plagiarism by the New York Times. Where's Google's liabilities around plagiarism? Like, is it, have they plagiarized or not? So ChatGPT is, I'm, I mean, it's OpenAI and, you know, they don't have as deep, they're big, but they don't have as deep pockets as Google. So Google does not want exposure to that. And the second thing is, if Google gives the content, are they the publisher? So one thing that search engines have been able to get away with for many, many years mm -hmm. is that they are not the content creators. They are not publishers. They are simply mm -hmm. search engines. So if you search for violence on Google and you commit violence based on something you found on Google, that's not Google's fault. That's the mm -hmm. internet, right? This is not China and China. That would be Baidu's fault. So that's not, that's not Google's fault. Now, Google, if you search like how to make a bomb and Google told you how to make a bomb in SGE, is that Google's fault? Well, that really hasn't been determined and Google doesn't want to find out that it's their fault after they launch SGE. Now, essentially, Google could sanitize all results and make sure they never say anything that has litigation exposure, but that's a heavy yeah. look at all the ways people have jailbroken ChatGPT to be racist and violent and hateful. So Google doesn't want that. So that's, that's number one. Number two is that Google is very, very concerned about any exposure to revenue loss. So when they, and this one, is where my mind goes straight away. Yeah. So one of the things I was concerned about is like, well, they can't go all in on revenue like they've done in the past, like adding five different ads and all in on AI at the same time. You're all in on one. Mm -hmm. So initially they did SGE on a lot of results, even though it's a small beta, it probably cost them a lot of money and they pulled back from it. So that's the other thing I've heard is they have this like dance between do they show AI or do they show ads? Because, you know, you're going to go to one of them. And then the third one is something kind of new and I haven't yet written about which I'm now hearing over and over, is that Google mm. is very concerned about the latency and cost of SGE. So when SGE, when you do a query, it's a fascinating concept. When you do a query on Google and it shows SGE, it's doing it in real time. So that there's latency built into that and Google's not, they're not really sure what's going to happen when regular users have this. And then of course, this is very expensive. So right now in the beta, 
it's expensive, they're running queries, but what happens when every single query on Google is now being run in a real time through, through mm. like generative AI? Again, that's expensive. So that, that, those are the three, reason, three reasons Google really hasn't launched this thing widely yet. The third one is one I haven't really talked about yet, but I've heard over and over. Uh, you know, Google's had all hands about it. So I think the way they'll probably solve it is with some sort of batching, like batching queries. The same way you see in Google Search Console, there's, you know, a million people search this one, que this one query, probably not necessarily that precise query, but they batch it. So they take all the spelling mistakes, they take all the near matches, and they just batch it under that query. So maybe that's what happens with SGE, which instead of running a generative AI query in real time, they're just like, oh, that's the kind of the same query. All these other million people did it, and they just give you that result. It's not the exact same as if you ran it deliberately like in BARD or ChatGBT. So that, that may be one way they solve it. On the publisher side, we talked about Google not wanting to be a publisher. Then you've got the other side to the equation of all the, there's, you know, the lawsuit happening at the moment with NYT. Any thoughts at all on how publishers, I mean, they're clearly going to be impacted because one of your predictions for this year is that 50% of all traffic is, SGE will kill 50% of traffic. A lot of that's going to be publishers traffic. Yeah. So my prediction is really a blended, like a blended prediction. So I'd say like, if you're in an informational space, you could lose 80% of your traffic. If you're in a service space, you could lose 10% of your traffic. Meaningful. All of this is meaningful. I think mm -hmm. everyone needs to be prepared for meaningful hits to search traffic and to revenue if you're, you're heavily reliant on Google search. Now, what I mean by informational mm -hmm. is if I am a Healthline or WebMD or Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic, those websites, they give mm -hmm. a lot of health information, which is very commoditized like what's the polio vaccine or how do you treat a headache or how do you you know how many hours of sleep do you need per night like that kind of content highly commoditized content and again it's written by doctors and it's all very similar google could again take that in an sge response summarizing all those websites and all publicly available information give you the answer you need eight hours of sleep per night you know, this is why you need a polio vaccine. This is when you give the polio vaccine. Again, the same as a knowledge graph. So if you're in that kind of space, I could see them losing significant percentage of traffic. If you're in mm. e-commerce, e-commerce is changing. And I think like Google is entering e-commerce. If you look at SGE, they have these blocks where they like link over to like the uh, potential sellers of a, of a specific product. It's not a great experience yet yep. because it's still like a couple hops. But you could lose traffic, but still not really lose sales. So it, it, my prediction on 50%, and I, I, I blend it. Like, I think some people need to be concerned about losing mm -hmm. the whole thing, and some people don't need to be concerned about losing much at all. Yep. There has been, like, a fair bit of narrative out there around the fact that it's going to be your top funnel. It's your how-to. It's, it's that type of content, which is, you know, not commercial, you know, not buy now traffic anyway. But it is traffic that... that E-commerce businesses, for example, or lots of other businesses will, will then retarget, you know, but I guess then we've got cookies going at some point. So it's going to be a very different time for marketers. If anything, like, I don't know, we, we sort of, we could go down a rabbit hole here, but I'm, I'm not a attribution in this whole, this whole world of, you know, this click equaled this much attribution towards this specific action. I think most of it's just rubbish, if I'm being honest. And I think really clever marketers look at things much more holistically than that. And they look more, more at correlation between marketing activity and, and revenue or whatever your, your key guiding metric is. 
So weird tangent there. But let's just get back on track. I'm just call, I'm pulling from a, a post you had on LinkedIn recently around your, your predictions for 2024. Now, another one was demand for SEO talent will explode by 20, 200%. Is that because of SGE? Like people needing to get people more on the bleeding edge of what's happening here? Yes. So, so I, I've been in SEO for a long time, maybe 16 years, 17 years. And when yep. I initially started SEO, I, I think SEO was, was highly technical, very creative and very valuable. So let's, let's go back to I don't know, 2008 of SEO, right? So or let's go, yep. yeah, 2008 is a good year, 2008 of SEO. Facebook hadn't launched our ad platform. Google ads was, there was no programmatic bidding yet. Retargeting was very new. You were doing SEO and SEO was very, very valuable. It's one of the best ways to drive sustainable traffic because you didn't really have those paid sources of traffic that were very mature. So if you were wanted traffic from the internet, SEO was very meaningful. And to get that SEO traffic, you needed to be pretty creative, like what you built. And you know, link buying was in full force. And Google really didn't recognize it. There was, you know, Google didn't have a full a monopoly just yet. I think, what was it, Live or whatever, whatever the pre-Bing was, like still existed. There was a little bit of search coming from other search engines. And you had to be creative. You had to be good at SEO. The tools were weak. Google Search Console didn't exist. You had Google Webmaster Tools with four months of data. The SEO tools, you know, you had to do a lot of rank tracking. Ranking wasn't very personalized. So SEO was complicated. And when you're good at, and the people that did it were good at SEO, they drove a lot of they drove a lot of value, they drove a lot of revenue, they were highly paid, and the, the, their leadership knew who they were and what they did and valued their contribution. As SEO got easier, and you know, for people new in SEO today, you don't realize how easy it is because you have all these tools and you have all these things. Like again, SEMrush didn't really exist, and Ahrefs didn't exist at all. You had rank tracking, you had link buying, like it's, it's fairly simple now. You create good content, create a meaningful experience for users, you know, build some links to it, build good authority, use, a, use one of the off-the-shelf off CMSs. Like again, earlier days, yep. there weren't really good off-the-shelf CMSs. So SEO is simpler and therefore SEO is lower down on the organizational hierarchy. They're reporting to like a director of marketing reports to VP and the CEO, the CEO doesn't even know what SEO is, doesn't care. They, they, I mean, they know, but like, it's not that meaningful. The CFO doesn't know really what's coming from this channel. So SEO got, I think, a little bit dumber and the people that entered SEO didn't need to be as capable and as talented. And uh, again, there's a lot of people in SEO more than ever. Now, I think with SGE and generative AI in general, SEO is becoming more complicated, which means that companies that were driving SEO traffic without really thinking about it, now have to think about it and want solutions for it as they watch the traffic going down. What are you going to do? You need to hire more SEO. And that doesn't really exist. We're in this like status quo. Like the way I would compare it to is I didn't know any epidemiologists in 2019. I didn't know what they did. But all of a sudden in 2020, everyone wanted to know an epidemiologist. My cousin's an epidemiologist. And he told me that this coronavirus thing, right? Everyone knew like you needed to know about epidemiology. And, and what we discovered is that there's this huge demand for something that sort of already existed, but there weren't enough of them. I think that's where SEO is going because the market is suddenly going to turn on SEO and how SEO traffic is generated. You're going to want to need a specialist. 
And to all the SEO people out there listening, this is the year you ask for a raise. This is the year you jump ship and get a new job. You are valuable. So that, I, I, I mean, again, I wrote a newsletter and, and I wrote this on LinkedIn with my predictions. 200%, I don't know, I just put a number on it, I, but it could be 500%. I think SEO will become more valuable than it's been in the last decade. And I think that's a big part to it. Like there's so much more unknown to it that if we're being honest, like over the years as the SEO space, the industry has, has, has matured, it's just because there has been, well, there's a list of tasks. You just tick this, tick this, tick this. And your lower level specialists are getting into roles and they're just ticking boxes. And oh, there's been a little algo change. Okay, well, that box becomes a box with a couple of subtasks to it. Whereas, you know, when you're moving into a world where we're just not sure what the SERP's going to look like, we're not sure how it's prioritizing, we're not sure how much of your content it's going to use, not use, we're not sure how impacted that number one ranking is. Is that number one ranking still going to have the same factors to get it there with SGE above it? We don't know. So all of a sudden, I think the, especially the, there has been clearly a lot of very clever SEOs over the journey as well who've been running experiments and trying different things. So I think this is their time to shine. And it's the ones that that are, you know, looking at this as a real opportunity to, you know, to swim out into a blue ocean of new ideas and, you know, new experiments. And they're the ones that are really going to thrive. Absolutely. And, and the interesting thing is where SEO might not be well known right now, all of a sudden SEO is going to become well-known because again, there's a status quo. Let's say you're a business like Lowe's, right? Lowe's, Lowe's uh, hardware, right? Not Lowe's the movie theater mm -hmm. or Lowe's the, uh, yep. Lowe's the hotel. So your business like Lowe's, your SEO is chugging along and you don't really think about it. You know, you have your forecast and your projections, and you're going to grow 3% every year because you're big. And all of a sudden it comes 2024 and you drop it 20%. You're like, what happened here? Who do I, who do I talk to? So all of a sudden there's this like, get me an SEO. There's this like mentality of like, get me an SEO. So someone needs to explain to me what this drop is. So again, like if you're an in-house SEO, this, this is the year for you. If you're a consultant, this is certainly the year for you. Okay. What else did we have in there? We had, I mean, I think this one's pretty straightforward, but you mentioned that the SEO tool stack will completely change. Well, clearly, because it's a whole different SERP. It's a whole, all the things we just spoke about. Are there any tools that you have seen already that are, you know, that look like they're heading in the right direction? No, actually, I don't think the tools exist yet. So here's the problem. Yeah. We're in a keyword-driven world. So all the tools are really around keywords, like what keywords to use, mm. what keywords are ranking on content, and where your competitors rank. But if it's not ranking anymore, if like it's just about SGE responses, no tool really measures that yet. And then the biggest challenge is I, I've asked Google Search Console about like how Google Search, the team at Google Search Console, how Google Search Console will measure SGE and they didn't have a response. So what if Google Search Ooh. Console itself is no longer accurate? It tells you like what your position is, what clicks you got in your position, but does not tell you when you showed up in one of those boxes in SGE or does not tell you if you got a click from SGE. Like, and it's no longer an accurate tool. Like the tool that I think is the most accurate and reliable suddenly becomes not accurate and reliable. So I don't really know the tool that will exist for this feature. Okay, for sure. And the last one was ads inventory will contract with SGE. When you say contract, sorry, what do you mean there specifically? So there's going to be this different funnel where you, we're now going to be in this top of funnel where you use SG, where you use generative AI to get something explained to you what it is. And then you'll do a query on that's more specific. 
So think about it like uh, Google can't will not show ads on many many of these queries because they have to choose between SGE and Google and uh, and and ads. So if they opt for SGE, that means there's just less ad inventory, and then the ad that you the next search you do after that SGE search becomes more of a brand term. I don't like using the word, but head term. And that becomes more competitive. So that's what I think by contracting is like, there's just less inventory that will exist for us. Gotcha. gotcha. As we've said, like a lot of people are looking at this as like doom and gloom. Like a lot of SEOs are like, what are we going to do? But as it's pretty clear in your enthusiasm and your excitement for what's coming, you're on the other side of that. So how can SEOs prepare? What do you think if they're going to go hat in hand to their employer and, and ask for more money. What, what are they bringing to the table? What, what, what do they need to do to get themselves in position to, to step ahead? So first and foremost is communication. So I think that there have been a lot in the SEO industry who have been um, denying the reality of what SGE means for search. And I actually don't think the, the pur your purpose is served by that. I think for mm -hmm. SEO, maybe there's no doom and gloom. Maybe bad things don't end up happening. But I think if you go and warn everybody about the potential for bad things, it's quite logical. And you should do it even if it doesn't end up happening. You're better off being the person that screamed that the world is going to end because there's a 50-50 chance that it will end than being mm -hmm. the person that did not scream that the world is ending when it ends and like you should have said something. So that's the first thing I would do is really just like make your employer, make your clients, make your colleagues aware that results are changing mm -hmm. and something needs to be done. So that would be the first step for going to get that raise and going to get that more authority of saying, there's an emergency coming. I'm not equipped to be able to handle this emergency. I'm not uh, tasked with these things. I don't have this authority. I don't have the right team. So that that's where I'd go first and then start articulating what you're going to do about it. The big thing about what you're going to do about SGE is really pivoting an entire strategy around a user and around what this new experience might look like. My opinion is that it becomes a mid-funnel experience that queries are at the top of the funnel are SGE answered by, again, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, polio vaccine. When you get the polio vaccine, just SGE will tell you, but then where do I get the polio vaccine? SGE can't tell you. Mm -hmm. well, what are the hours of the clinic where I get the polio vaccine? SGE can't bring you to the clinic. So the, the what you're doing changes. So we're maybe in the past it was all about this funnel of like, well, I talk about the polio vaccine and then I have an ad or something internal that brings you down this funnel. Now you're not the one bringing down the funnel. It's Google that opens the funnel. You need to capture them in the middle of the funnel. That's my opinion. But again, mm. it's to each SEO and to each company on their own to understand like how SGE will upend their results and build a strategy around that. And that's where, again, where we started at the beginning of this podcast is everything's changing. So the old way of doing SEO worked for polio vaccines and it worked for Lowe's hardware. The new way is something, something changes. Like if you're doing SEO for you know, a hotel, it's different than if you're doing SEO for e-commerce and it's different if you're doing SEO for medical information. The strategies are different. You need to adapt differently. The users are different. So therefore you need something different. Who, who do you, other than yourself, who do you, is there anyone else that you think that SEO should be listening to, following? that's like on the on the cusp of this who are you reading out there that you go yeah I'm, I'm i'm down with that i can see specific to sge like who do you feel is is saying stuff which is going to point people in the right direction you think 
Well, always Barry Schwartz. I mean, Barry Schwartz is always on the cutting edge of like what's happening with search. So SEO round SE roundtable, I think is his website, but follow mm -hmm. Rusty Brick on Twitter. Lily Ray is great on Twitter. She's also always on top of like, you know, interesting things happening for sure. Kevin Indig, you know, my podcast partner, Aleda Solis is really summarizing everything out on the web. So these are the people that I would, I would follow really the, the people that are paying attention to everything on the internet, because this is changing. Like I don't, I have no guess anymore of when SGE will launch. I initially thought, well, I'd heard it was supposed to launch before Thanksgiving. It didn't. Uh, mm. I don't know whether it launches this week now that we're into 2024. I don't know. When are you launching this podcast even? <laughs> but wait, it's the first week of 2024. I, I don't know whether it launches this week now that we're in 2024 and people are back from vacation or like, you know, Google has some other date. Who knows, right? But I, I think it's ripe to be launched now. They weren't going to launch in December or after Thanksgiving because they were in code freeze, but code freeze is over. Mm -hmm. They're back at work. So could launch at any point in time. So follow these people, read what they're saying, mm -hmm. and you'll be on top of the news as soon as it happens. Right. And one last thing we haven't touched on, but I'm just curious about how SGE, is this going to change the way that websites need to be constructed or presenting information? Possibly, yes. So, it, it, it it's total. That's a very interesting question. Like, what happens with e-commerce? Mm. Like, if Google will show SGE responses, how do they understand what an e-commerce product is? If it's commoditized and who made it and where the best place to buy it? So, I think it possibly mm. could change. I mean, I don't think we know those answers, and I don't think Google really knows those answers yet either, because yeah, it, this is a moving target of what users will like and what they should be building. So I, I, I think everything is up for change. I'm excited by that. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like if Google's going to take us on this journey where so much of the information we're used to going off in different places to get is, is there, does that change the way that we present the information on our own home turf, the way it's structured, the way, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a whole new world coming. And I just think that it's something that we probably just need to keep a pulse on over the next, over the coming months. Yep. Cool. Eli, thank you so much. What a great conversation. Really always love having you on this podcast. Thanks again for your time. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Russ. No worries. What's the best way people can, where, where do you share your best information? Is LinkedIn, is that the best place they should follow you? LinkedIn and definitely subscribe to my newsletter. It's never going to be paid. I don't think I'm, I'm not committing to that now, but I, I likely will never make it paid. I'll figure out some other solution if I need to get paid for it, but that's productledseo.substack.com. But certainly news does follow me on, on LinkedIn and Twitter. My handle is five L E, mm -hmm. but I'm way more active on LinkedIn. All right. Excellent. Cool. Well, that's been another episode of SEO success stories. Thanks so much, Eli, for joining us. If you've enjoyed it, like I said at the start, just subscribe, write us a review. That would be wonderful. I'll be back again in your ears in two weeks' time. SEO Success Stories, signing off. Thank you. Thank you.